Welcome to the Lotco Business Podcast, a show all about helping you as a retailer, brand, or creative understand the actual business side of running your business. I offer straightforward, practical advice about the nitty-gritty of making money from your creative passion. We will be covering bite-sized business and marketing lessons, as well as interviews with experts and trailblazers in the fashion, homewares, and design industries. My name is Melissa Robbins. I'm a business coach, colour-loving, non-coffee-drinking Melbourneian. Let's get into it. Hello and welcome to today's podcast. My name is Melissa Robbins. Today I am chatting with Jackie Sinnett. Jackie is a retail store owner and buyer from Mossvale, New South Wales, which is in the Southern Highlands of New South Wales. She runs a store, Neston Borough, and I have known Jackie for a number of years after meeting on a uh, sales road trip back in 2019, I think, when people, you know, did road trips and travelled and all that sort of stuff as well. She's also one of my members in the Lotco Collective membership, which is um, a monthly membership to support retail store owners, you know, whether bricks and mortar or online. I am so excited to have you here today, Jackie. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Hi, Mel. Well, thanks for having me. Um, So my background is I was a teacher I was a teacher in uh, originally primary trained and then I went to high school and then I end up teaching um, maths at TAFE and then um, my husband and I opened a cafe in the town we live in in Bundanoon which is mm-hmm. um, a little bit further south than Mossvale and I guess just due to the circumstances of everything that happened we then opened a retail store. Um, and so that's how we sort of stumbled into what we've become. Yeah. And and so when when was when did when did all this start? When did this um, when did you open, first open the cafe? So 2010, uh, not long after the sort of GFC, my husband used to design websites for uh, American companies, and with the huge collapse of the economy in America, uh, that affected his income, and so. Uh, we decided to, I guess, try the cafe. His mum had owned cafes before. Andrew is a very enthusiastic cook. And um, so we decided that that would be a great thing that we could do together. Um, And we opened the cafe in 2010 and our son was our barista. And then we had some extra staff on the weekends. And so how did you start adding retail to the mix as well? Where did that come into it? Well, at the end of the first day of opening the cafe, Andrew said that he absolutely hated it and never wanted to go back. And I said, I thought that was perhaps a little early to um, hate something. And so at the end of the first week, he was adamant that he absolutely hated it. But I had left my TAFE job and um, really we we were kind of in too deep at that point. And so we had to continue on and Um, my son, my youngest son, um, who works for us in our retail store now, he was at school. Um, he has a few disabilities and had a really hard time at school and it really wasn't a happy place for him. And he had got to the end of year 10 at this point. So he left school and he became our barista. Mm -hmm. And so the three of us worked together and lived together. And that was challenging at times But Andrew was so desperately unhappy. And so for a long time, we were looking for ways to change that situation. Mm -hmm. And so what happened was uh, the shop next door, 
which was our first store, Neston Burrow, was a trash and treasure store. And it was only open on the weekends and sometimes through the week if she felt like it. Mm-hmm. And her husband used to do psychic readings out the back. And my husband and son have a great love of the paranormal and run this huge paranormal group. And so we decided we'd all go in for a psychic reading because we were desperate for someone to tell us that our life was going to change because everyone at this point was pushing on suicidal. And um, so we went in and each of us had a turn with the psychic and he said to me, and of course, you know, the power of suggestion, he said to me, you're going to buy this business from my wife. And, but I don't, she was quite sick at the time. And he said, but please don't tell her if you see her because she doesn't know that this is going to happen yet. And he said, but you're going to buy this business and you're going to sell your cafe and you need to put it on the market now because your buyer is there and they're ready. And he said, and you're going to open this this store and this is going to be fabulous for you. And so I just laughed at him because I thought that was just the most ridiculous thing I'd ever heard. So I went back and I told the boys and we were like, oh, ha, 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 that's so funny. And yeah. then, of course, the power of suggestion, I started thinking and I, I thought about it and thought about it. And typically whenever I say to my husband, the poor man, I say, um, I've been thinking and he goes, okay, you know, what <laughs> hell is now going to be unleashed upon me? And so I said to them, listen, I think this is what we should do. We should We should buy it and we should get rid of some of the old stuff and do half old and half new and you know come up we we, they didn't want to sell us the name and we didn't want the name and so um we decided that that's what we would we would do and we would sell the cafe I would go back teaching at TAFE and the boys would run the store through the week and I would go in on the weekends with them and I would I would be the buyer and then you know I'd give them a break on the weekend yeah, so yeah. I guess the next step was we put the cafe on the market. Um, I went back and got my job back at TAFE, but I was only back a, a day a week. So, um, you know, we put everything, the, the motions were in place and we went to the bank to borrow more money. So we already had a mortgage. We had mm-hmm. a loan on the cafe and we went to them to ask for more money to buy this business. And so you hadn't sold the cafe at this stage? No, no, hadn't yeah. sold the cafe. And mm-hmm. so Westpac said, you know, put together a business plan for us. And so I'd never done that before. So I did that. Mm-hmm. And we sat down with the business banking manager who, you know, it, you know, it's about getting back to local grassroots stuff for the banks with stuff like that. So yeah. we'd, we'd known him and he'd been to the cafe and he knew us and he knew what we were talking about and we pitched him our idea. And they lent us some money. And so we... You must be good with your maths. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's kind of, yes, I know. Because no one was getting money back then for businesses because they were just all falling apart. That's crazy. Not in anything. Yeah. So we, we were waiting to get approval from the bank when the first February fair came. And that was back in 2012. So we'd registered our business name. Um, and we'd gone and uh, to Goulburn and done that directly with whoever it was that was you had to do that with at the time. And we decided to call it Neston Burrow because the shop had a lovely history. It was an old bakery, 
And so the very front of the shop when you walked into it was where they used to sell the bread and the cakes. And then you went upstairs into what was the home of the bakers. And Mm -hmm. so their kitchen, their lounge room, their bedrooms, and out in the backyard were the old ovens. And so we didn't lease that part, but we, we leased the shop part. And so Josh said, oh, it's like a burrow. Uh, let's call it the burrow. And at the time, we'd already had a store with a name called The because we were the gardener's kitchen in the cafe. Mm-hmm. And so we decided we'd have a double-barreled name. And so we just kept throwing names out there till we came up with Nest and Burrow, mm-hmm. uh, registered it. And we went off to the trade fair. Andrew and I went off not knowing a single thing about buying, not knowing a single thing about anything. So we, but we know what we like. And we had sort of kind of danced around the idea of doing something similar years earlier, but never went through with it. And so off we went and we introduced ourselves to people and we had business cards from the cafe. So it had our ABN and all that on it. And mm-hmm. we chatted to people and we told them our situation and we met people. And some of those people are still some of our, you know, really dear friends who've been with us since the beginning. Mm-hmm. And we didn't actually get approval for the loan until the last day of the trade fair on the Wednesday at 12 o'clock as the fair shut down. Wow. So You're, we'd spent yeah. the first day wandering around just getting ideas about what we, we'd want to buy. And we weren't putting in orders because we're waiting to be told we had the money. So in the end, we said, "Did you have some sort of?" Yes, we did. We had a very, we had a very tight budget. So to open the store, um, we spent twenty five thousand on new product. That was it. Mm -hmm. Um, And the rest of the store was filled with because we had to buy all the old stuff. Mm, So we had to clear out most. Well, most of it was just for the tip it was terrible so you know we spent a week clearing out stuff with my mum and dad and some friends just taking load after load to either charity stores or the tip Mm -hmm. and we kept the stuff that we thought was of any value and we styled half the store with that and then the other half of the store we used the furniture pieces to put our new product on and the other half was new um so it was pretty exciting that we got the yes for the money at sort of at the end of that day. And so all the mm. orders that we had kind of put through, you know, we, we went ahead with, no problem. But, of course, the cafe didn't sell. Oh, and geez. I know. So You're, for, you're, you're like, where's his service, your psychic reading? Where is the buyer? Yes, Where well, he, he left town pretty quickly, I'll tell you. Um, <laughs> so, so we mm. were, had the store uh, and – the cafe for 18 months together Wow! and for one of those for one year I was teaching in Campbelltown at the TAFE I was running the cafe and I was running the gift shop and so that was a very very bad year and I was a very unhappy person Mm. Um, and in the gift shop um, the lady who worked for us had worked for the two previous owners and she was amazing. She was this amazing woman, but she was quite um, elderly and she had never used a till in her life because all the businesses before us, it was all cash. Mm-hmm. And we had an FPOS machine and we had a till and everything was on the books. Mm-hmm. And she'd never dealt with that before. 
And so she had a walkie-talkie and we, I, was, I would be in the cafe next door and if there was a problem, she'd walkie-talkie me and I'd leave the cafe and go into the gift shop and fix whatever problem there was yeah. and then go back. Um, so that was really challenging for, there was a lot of disasters that happened, like some yep. serious disasters, um, that, that August, I think my mum and dad were really worried, you know, we'd had the shop for sort of six months at that point and they were worried, I think that I was going to have a nervous breakdown. And so they, we'd, we'd thrown every cent we had into these two businesses. And so we had no money. And mum said, your father and I want to send you down to Melbourne to the trade fair. We'll pay for your accommodation and, you know, your petrol. And um, you need to get away. You you need to, to go and, and do this. And so we thought, you little beauty, you know, it's the first holiday we've had in, at that point, three years. Mm. And so we went down with very little budget and we we just went gangbusters we just threw everything at it we we decided to start Christmas and that's how you and I met I guess in a Mm, way because you'd come in around Christmas time so we did trees and decorations and all of those sorts of things and that's what we've become known for you know sort of we have a lot of people who follow us for that yeah and have grown that yeah, the, when I, yeah, as you said, when I was in there, well, I think it was probably about October or November, um, the the creation, you know, all the sort of stock you had in there and the, the trees, the the displays, the, you know, it was amazing. I loved it. And I loved Andrew. I remember Andrew's passion for it, like how much he was talking about it. And it was it was exciting. I really loved seeing, seeing that passion from the store owners as well. Yes. Well, it, you know, it's an interesting thing how I guess by the time you'd met us, um, we'd had the store in Bundanoon for quite a while. And when you met us, we had both stores. So mm. when when we opened the Mossvale store, we still had the Bundanoon store going. And, and before you move on to that, we just have to know that did you sell you sold the cafe? We did sell the cafe. We sold it after the 18 months. Okay. Yeah. Um and and you know, that was great. Then we got to concentrate just on the gift store. Yeah. And Andrew, and why did you decide to add Moss Vale? Oh, landlords, they kill you, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> so the landlord in Bundanoon, he toyed with the idea of putting the building on the market and he had some vision that someone from Sydney was going to come down and knock the building down and build something grand and he wanted a million dollars for it and it was just ridiculous. The building was falling apart, it still is, and it was worth, you know, 450 on a good day. So. Yeah. He was kind of mucking us around and I said to Andrew, I think we need to look for an alternative. And Andrew kept saying, look, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. But I, and I'm the optimist and he's the pessimist, but I really felt that the time had come that we needed to start thinking further. You know, we'd had some great growth, really good growth at that point. And so I kept saying to him, Mossvale is going to go it's going to go off. It's been a town in the Highlands that has not been the most glamorous of the towns. Barrel's mm-hmm. always been the glamour town and Mossvale's always been a very, very much, uh, particularly if you lived in the Highlands, the lesser of the towns in terms mm-hmm. of just locals' opinion, not Mossvale people, but just it's never yeah. had that kind of shine on it. And all of a sudden everybody started investing in Mossvale and it is the most beautiful town now. Mm-hmm. Because it's got stores that 
of people who spent money and mm. have really made it look fantastic. And yeah, as you said, it's not just one. There's there's multiple. So it's oh, loads to it yes. as well. It's like yeah. what Barrel used to be because Barrel's mm-hmm. now full of so many uh, franchises that mm. the independent stores that were the draw card have really become a minority now, whereas Mossvale is all independently owned beautiful stores. Mm. Yeah. So it, it's, it's it's an exciting place to be. And I know Renee, who's part of your business group, she's got Birch Store. She, you know, they've mm. got two hats. Um, you know, there's it's just it's a really buzzy, vibey, beautiful place where people yep. have invested. Um, yeah. So we, we found this huge big shop. It used to be Lifeline. We, we had for the first two years people dropping bags off at the roller door. <laughs> um, oh, my gosh. And so we we took out a quite a big lease there, um, did a complete – lots, lots of store size because it's quite large. I from my memory it's uh, 300 big. square metres. Um yeah. Of okay. which 250 of that is shop floor and then we've got storerooms. So we're, we're lucky we've got some storage, which is really good. Uh, yeah. But it's a very big store. And so I think, you know, we were sort of, if you got shop fitters to come in and do it, you know, you were looking at about $150,000. Mm. So we didn't have that. That's all the money we had really for for stock. So we had... Um, we did it ourselves. So we bought. I bought some pieces that were end of line with French country and a few of the big, you know, name homewares supplies mm-hmm. that we buy from anyway. And the rest of it is IKEA bookcases. I think yeah. there's 110. And oh <laughs> yeah, so we had to build all of them, and then we had to do the lighting for all of it, and. One of my mates who was a builder, he came and built all our um, window boxes for us and, you know, it was a big deal. We had to have all electrical redone because it was just all these hideous fluoros. And, yeah. But anyway, it's fantastic. You know, it, it's been a real opportunity for us and it, in just 20 minutes from where we live, from Bundanoon to Mossvale, the demographic changes enormously. Mm. Uh, what people buy is completely different. You, you, it's hard to believe that in yeah. 20 minutes that you could have such a different type of product that is popular um, com- in the same area, but it is. I it, had that in, um, where my retail store was. We we started in Westgarth in, in Northcote and we moved one and a half Ks, maybe not even that, down the road um, and it was a completely different customer. We, we moved to Clifton Hill, a little in Queen's Parade, a little street. And as you, that, that small distance in the inner city, that completely changed as well, the demographic and the, the you know, what people were buying. It was it was so bizarre. I couldn't but it's fascinating, it. isn't it? It's, yeah. it's, it's so unexpected because in business, I think what you're trying to constantly do is make predictions. You know, you're, mm. you're thinking ahead all the time of what you, hope is what your customer wants but even in just that short distance how how it changes it's incredible so how long did you have both stores so because obviously now you have closed the Bundanoon store yes so we closed Bundanoon last year um so the bushfires you know we were all closed here in the highlands for a while um 
the bushfires, we, we're in Bundanoon, the bushfires came quite close to our house mm-hmm. and the store in Bundanoon was closed for quite a long time because of the fires. Yeah. Then we reopened and we were, you know, ticking along okay. People were starting to come because Buy From The Bush campaign had started, mm-hmm. um, Eat With Them, all those sorts of things where people were encouraged to leave the city, come to the country and help yeah. bushfire areas. Mm. which they did, you know, they were so generous and fabulous and, and city people have been so supportive of locals because it was really very bad. And mm. then all of a sudden COVID hit and so we closed Mossvale. We were closed for nine weeks. Um, mm-hmm. We could have stayed open and there were stores that did. We chose not to because they asked us not to. They said, please stay home. Mm-hmm. And so... We did that. Our eldest son is a doctor in Melbourne and, mm-hmm. you know, we, I guess we were made clear and we understood how serious this was yeah, and yeah. what the ramifications were for people who contracted it. So we took it very seriously. And at that point, you know, Bundanoon had been closed for almost six months when you count the bushfires and because it wasn't wow. just the fires, it was the smoke and then covid and we just decided, you know, our lease had reached the end of its option. Yeah. And we just decided to go and concentrate on the one store. I found running two very challenging in the sense that all deliveries would come to Mossvale. Then we'd load up what was needed for Bundanoon into the car. Then mm-hmm. we'd finish in Mossvale. Then we'd drive home to Bundanoon. Then we'd stop and then we'd unload the car then I'd have to restyle the store ready for it to be open the next day with the new stock. Then we'd go home. (laughs) i got to tell you, once you've left your first store, you don't really want to go to the second store at 6 o'clock at night. No, definitely not. Yeah, And your energy, as you say, is spread between the two. So it is really hard to manage um, when you do have more than one, I we when we opened our second store, it was in a completely different location, and we really we just didn't do one either of them well. So yeah, that's what happened with our. I agree, and look, our, people yeah. will you know have criticised me. One of the things was that we had never had a computer system because you know we started but Neston Borough in Bundanoo with no money, yeah, and yeah. so everything was just a till, and it was all hand priced. I did it all in the beginning. You know, I ordered it, I unpacked it, I priced it, I placed it. Andrew didn't work in the store originally. He'd come at night and help me and work, you know, on weekends and stuff. But Josh and I worked in the store together and um, that was great. You know, that that was really good. And then Josh had to go over, well, he didn't have to. He went overseas and mm-hmm. Andrew came and worked in the store with me and learnt to use the till and, and you know, he really sort of t- took a more active role he needed Mm. a rest he really needed a rest after the cafe and that was great that he could do that but does he love this this part of it now like obviously the cafe wasn't his his jam but is he did he want he was keen on pursuing retail and you know found interest in that as well you know I think one of the things that's been the most successful part of our partnership is that there's no ego involved in our relationship Mm -hmm. um He's really comfortable and happy for me to make decisions. Yeah. Um, I, I don't just make them without any type of conversation with him or agreement with him. 
but he he doesn't really like making the decisions he and and as an ex-teacher that's all I ever did um you know was make decisions and be organized and so those skills I brought into the business that he was really happy to just let me run with so if he really had a strong opinion about something he'd say it but otherwise he's just the most supportive easygoing fabulous partner that's a, a rock and so we all have days when we go, well, this isn't awesome. And then we all go, oh, yeah, but remember the cafe. And then we go, yeah, this is great. This is so good. Because sometimes you've got to have the worst to know when things are good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. when right. it's bad and you're reminded of how miserable you were, you think, hey, every day here is just awesome. It's practising gratitude. I like it. I like it. Find, you know, things that you are grateful for. And so you mentioned there about some of the bit of the, about the locals. And um, that was one of my questions, actually, like with your store being where it is, do, you know, I, I often do find that a lot of regional stores do do well or, or sometimes better than inner city stores because they've got that um, income coming in or revenue coming in from not just locals and it is coming in from other areas or as you say tourists or people coming from out of town so does that help you as a business or or can you tell me you know what do you think or percentage wise you know where the where your buyers or customers come from in Bundanoon when we were there I would have said at least 80% of our custom was local. We were very heavily supported by locals. The people of Bundanoon believe in the town. And so that was great for us. But then we used to have a resort here, a health resort, and that was amazing because women who go away to a health resort feel Mm. guilty that they've left their families and like to take back gifts. And so (laughs) that was fantastic because they would really splurge on the more expensive items mm-hmm. um so that was you know always wonderful but in Mossvale because a lot of people in Mossvale didn't know us because they didn't go to Bundanoon yeah we were kind of new and so it was it was hard to tell in the beginning what the mix was but I would say that now after sort of we've been there four years that it's probably 70% local, 30% tourist because the people who knew us who came from Sydney and Canberra followed us to Mossvale. Mm-hmm. So we've kept those customers and gained new ones. Yeah. Um, but we've also then gained locals from Barrel and other towns because they've come to Mossvale, whereas they wouldn't go to Bundanoon because they perceive it as too far for whatever reason. So one of the things... Uh, we did when we did our, our original business plan for Westpac to get that mm-hmm. first loan is we set a projection for how much that we thought we'd earn and some of that was online sales and um, you know we had this goal and then what happened was in the first year we didn't quite get there but we were only open three days a week and so that's to be understood then in the second year we not only met that goal, but did 50% more. And so then all the time I'd spend my time thinking, okay, so wouldn't it be great if we could turn over Mm -hmm. 300,000? And then, you know, you'd get to that and you go, oh my God, that's fantastic. And then, you know, we'd be open seven days a week. And so then another goal had to be set because we we had longer opening hours. And that was okay, you know, wouldn't it be great if we could turn over half a million? Mm-hmm. And and then when we opened Mossvale, you know, it was different again. And so you're setting all these goals all the time. And I think when we moved to Mossvale, we pulled the website down. So we used to sell online mm-hmm. and we we I 
to try and do online and the shop in Bundanoon and the shop in Mossvale was just too, too hard. Yeah. Yeah. And so we decided that we would focus on customer service, making sure that we remembered people's names, welcoming back at them into the store, also trying to get to know them. You know, how's Mary today? You know, how's your sister? I haven't seen her for a while. Is she well? You know, all of those sorts of things. Yeah. Um, or you remember you bought that last year for Auntie June, you know, the, the stuff like that that really, you know, helped them and made them come to us. Yeah. And so we built this customer base where they would come and do all their shopping with us. So they'd come and do their Christmas shopping. They'd come for three hours and they'd lay all their wow. gifts out and they'd have their list and we would wrap everything and they would go out with every gift from us. And that's a big deal. That's the most amazing compliment to you and your business that you'll ever receive. But if well, you can build that up, then yeah. all of a sudden your goal for your turnover just keeps growing and growing but yeah. then you reach a point where you you reach your goal and then you've got to decide okay now I've reached this goal that I never in a million years thought I'd get to mm -hmm. do I need to keep pushing past that or do I take a chance to step back does it mean that we have to go as many days a week mm -hmm. do we get to have a little bit of a life now yeah. Yeah. It doesn't always mean, you know, like as you've closed that one store, I know that there was a crossover, but it doesn't always mean more stores that you should open and spread That's yourself. Right. It may mean even, even, you know, one of the things obviously in the membership we would talk about and work on is even how can we, um, you know, get that margin a little bit better. So your turnover might not change, but your margin might grow slightly, which is going to give you a better bottom line. Or you've established yourself, you've still got to really focus on your buying, you've still got to bring new things into the store, you've still got to look at make make it look inviting and exciting. But it may mean that the store has now generated enough foot traffic that's coming in regularly enough yeah. that you're going to hit that financial target. So your next goal isn't necessarily monetary. Yeah. It's it's you're working on your business, not necessarily in it. Yes. Where I'm not doing orders at midnight anymore. Yes. I'm or not, I, I don't work the night. I never have to do 80 hour weeks before Christmas anymore. Yes. Yeah. So all of a sudden you're not exhausting yourself, but yeah. you're still reaping the rewards. Yeah. And, and that's where having that path or direction knowing how to get there is really important too like what do you have to do to get there and that's part of obviously what we we do in the membership but um just in general you know you figuring out what you want out of the business as well as you say like yes of course you do want it to be give you an income and you want it to make you rich um <laughs> yeah but you want I it do. to also allow you the freedom to travel um, yes, you know, do trade shows or if you know if when they when we can get doing that again, um, and give you that opportunity to rest on you know weeknights. You're not doing after hours and all that sort of stuff as well. Yeah, it's it's rich but not at all cost. So, what has been the hardest part of of Rita? I mean, you've had as you've mentioned bushfires. You've had you know landlords giving you issues. You've had global pandemics throwing you know thrown at you. What what's been probably the hardest bit for you um, to manage or to um, within running the business? If I was to go back before all of that, the hardest part for me originally when when we we're in Bundanoon and before we got to Mossvale. 
um, we ran seriously on a shoestring. So I went to one trade fair one year with $1,000 in the bank. Um, and so it was managing budget, you know. It, mm. I would I would go with a budget and, of course, you can't have a budget when you actually have no money. So mm. what it was was ordering and trying to stagger delivery times, making sure yeah. that I always paid every bill on time so that mm. if I ever said to someone at a trade fair, you know, um, any chance of 60 days or if I spend X amount, can you give me free delivery? All those mm -hmm. sorts of things. So it was juggling that and yeah. also trying to predict what customers wanted. So after the first year in Bundanoon where we had the 50-50 old and new, what I'd got completely wrong about that business was the expectation that it would be predominantly for tourists which mm -hmm. it wasn't. Locals wanted, they were sick of old stuff. They've seen old stuff for forever. They mm. wanted a store that they could go and grab grandma a present or pay $20 for some kids' stuff for a birthday party and yeah. utilise. So we, we listened to our customers and we changed and developed and adapted our store based on what they told us they wanted. So mm. after 12 months, we got rid of all the old. We spent, we'd sold the cafe in the 18 months. We spent all the money that we got from the cafe and we turned it straight back into the gift shop and introduced more stock with greater volume and price differences so that if someone wanted bath salts, you know, we'd have some cheaper bath salts and we'd have more expensive you know, mm. so that there was options, that there were options for people to meet their budget but also find something nice and desirable. So yeah. I've always found, I think, is making sure that I still am sourcing things that people want and that's probably always given me the greatest angst. Mm. Um, you know, at the end of every day at a trade fair, we go back to the room and I must tell you I do have a few drinks because I say to Andrew, oh, my God, how much have I spent today? Because I don't ever count it up. Because <laughs> when I used to do that, it, it drove me insane. So yeah. what I do is I go, I find what I want, I know if I want it badly enough, I order minimum quantities of, you know, yeah. if you've got to take six of something, I'll only take the six, and I'll yeah. go back and I'll say, how much have we spent? And he'll say, you know, $25,000. And I'll go, oh, my God, no, we can't have. That's my whole budget. And this is day one. And he'll go, well, you have. And I'll say, why didn't you stop me? <laughs> but I think as you say, balancing that out with, you know, like that might be working with your suppliers and going, well, can I have this one in September? And then I need something else coming in October. And that's what I do. Obviously, we work on that in the membership too. Parts of that, like that buying, sort of trying to map out you've got new things coming in and obviously for your cash flow as well. Yes. And, you know, working with, you know, suppliers who you have to pay pro forma or then the ones you can get a count on with, you know, like managing all of that is is a balance. It's a challenge. It's, you know, a lot to think about and a lot to, as you say, trying to even get the right things at the right time for the right people for the, you know, yes. right price points. There's yeah, exactly. A, for the right price point, finding hmm. them what they want. And I would say that probably the next challenge after that 
So when I walk onto a trade fair stand um, of someone I've never met before, I ask some key questions. And the first is, um, what's your minimum opening order? Mm-hmm. Um, and that tells me something. In the old days when I had no money, it told me something that I could get my foot in the door with someone for $300. Yeah. As someone who's now got a much bigger budget, what that tells mm-hmm. me is how serious this brand is about selling to proper shops. Mm, mm. Um, That's one of the things I work with, as you know, you know, working with the wholesale group, which you've kindly been a guest speaker on in that in that group program but you know they're scared to put their number up high because they think it'll deter the people which it will in some ways but as you said it may be just getting the right stores and the ones with the right budget so it is a fine line between having it you definitely need one I always say that they definitely need a minimum um, but yeah, it depends on the price point of the product, whether how high or low that is. Really, personally, I think that the right number is five hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. That's my yep. honest opinion. I think that five hundred dollars weeds out people who aren't serious. Yep. Um, I think that five hundred dollars, if you are serious, is nothing. You'll do yeah. five hundred dollars in the first thirty seconds of breathing. So. Yep. You know, I think what if that, you don't have enough, or if you don't buy enough, it doesn't look good in your store. It just doesn't work in your store. That's as right. Well you have to get something that's cohesive, that's that's yeah. got to. That's exactly right. You know, I, but I also think one of the 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 things that was most successful for us was that stores that were really big. Let's say, it, mm-hmm. let's say we were comparing a store down the the road that was a really big store. They might have 20 suppliers of which they might spend, you know, $250,000 a year. They might have quite a decent budget, um, yeah. but they're only buying from 20 suppliers. They might be carrying, you know, five candle companies and some cushions mm-hmm. and whatever. What I did so that I was different so I didn't look like anyone else is we would have 50 suppliers for which I was buying specific things from each of them so that I was curating a very unique offering. Mm. But which that's you need really to hard work. Yeah, but you need to do that because otherwise you do the same as everyone else. That's right. But what that yeah. means is that I would be in the store through the day and then I'd come home at night and I'd be putting orders through online uh, often until one o'clock in the morning, I'd be sending emails at that time. I'd go to bed thinking about it. I'd wake up thinking about it. And I did that for years. Yeah. And I've only reached a point now, and everyone used to say, you've got to work on your business, not in your business. Um, mm. and, and I used to say, think, what does that mean? How in God's name am I meant to do that? Isn't that what I'm doing? But what it means is is it's given me the opportunity in the situation we are now that I don't work really down in the store anymore. So when mm-hmm. Andrew didn't work in Bundanoon and he came over to Mosfell full-time when we closed it down, it enabled me to work upstairs in the office yeah. talking to my wholesalers, meeting re- agents and reps and seeing samples mm-hmm. and doing all of those things and because if I go downstairs and I, you know, unfortunately the bathroom is down there and so I'll go down there 
and then I get stuck for an hour because everyone wants to know something you know where do we put this what have we got to do with this oh someone's here to see you you know and all of a sudden half a day's gone and I go back and think well that was great you know I haven't got anything done so working on it has given me you know it's given me the time to join your business group it's given me Mm. the time to come up with other ideas Mm. and so you know I think that's I was actually going to ask you that like what was the reason you know what for you does the membership give you because that was just you know I have in there people who have just started or have been going for you know someone's been going for 25 years so there is a mixture of different um businesses in there and so it's interesting to hear from you like what does it give you or what do you get out of it so yeah so the what the membership does for me is it challenges some of the ideas that I have because I've stumbled into this life this isn't something that I've learned from my family or because I've had a job mm-hmm. doing it it's something that we created and so I read a lot. So the, the the way that I've been successful is because I'm yeah. informed. And so information is everything. It's like at the moment with COVID, people who don't listen to the presses, if you've got a business, you'd have to be mad not listening to it because you've got to know exactly. what's happening. So your business group is a bit like that. It's a bit like listening to Gladys <laughs> at 11. It's, it's an opportunity to be informed about different topics you don't have to engage in every topic there are things that aren't relevant to me um but there's lots of things that are and I think also that sense of community with other Mm. people is a really valuable thing I think for people who aren't I feel I'm very lucky I have self-confidence and self-belief And I have the support of my husband who also fully believes and puts his whole financial world into Mm. my hands and we employ our son. So I think because I have the backing of other people, I have good Mm. self-confidence. And I think that people who don't Mm. have that, um, it's an opportunity for them to have other people give that to them to build them up and make them say, yeah, that's a really yeah. good idea, you know, don't Validate write that, that off. Because sometimes, yeah, people put questions up and go, oh, I'm doing this, what do you think? And people go, yeah, that's that's awesome, you know, give that mm. a go and then in two weeks do this or, you know, and, and just little suggestions mm. that help people tweak where they're going. And as you say, they're informed, um, you know, opinions too. It's not like these people are actually in the same situation, like they have a retail store or they have, a, you know, bricks and water yes. online. They're still in those same shoes. So it does make it a little bit more, you know, you know it helps you sort of then challenge yourself because you're like, oh, okay, well, I'll listen to these different ideas because these people are actually in doing the same thing as me. Mm. Yes. But I think, I think, and this comes back, you know, like I said, from an educational point of view, information is everything. So when I was talking before about, you know, when I go to a trade fair and I I walk onto a stand and I talk about my first questions, my first question, like I said, is, you know, what's your minimum opening order? And then my next question is, um, do you offer an Mm -hmm. account? And if a wholesaler is sensible, they'll say uh, we do the first one or two pro mm-hmm. forma and then we'll offer you 30 days. Some people say you've got to be on pro, pro forma for a year. Some people say only pro forma and some people who know us because of a connection from 
you know, somewhere else yeah. will say, oh, we'll just put you straight mm-hmm. on account. So knowing where you stand financially with that company is very yes. important. And then the next thing I ask, and this is the most important question, is will you offer me exclusivity? Yeah. And that expectation isn't for the whole of the Southern mm-hmm. Highlands. It's for my postcode. Yeah. Um, and so we do buy from some people who don't offer exclusivity, mm. but it's because they have something I really want. And I know that I may see it in other places, but it is important for me to have and it. It might be about the category. But yeah, the last people as I you buy say, from. like you've got some brands, but you've only got one of their categories, and that, that can work that way as well, can't it? Yes. However, if you spend enough I, see I think that the most important thing a wholesaler can mm-hmm. do for you is to say to you look we're happy to offer you exclusivity if you're going to be prepared to spend ten thousand mm-hmm. dollars a year yeah. right and and you know we understand that you're going to have different buying cycles you don't have to buy from us monthly but every three months we want to see you know um at, you know one or two thousand dollars knowing that come before Christmas I might spend half that money in, in yeah, November. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell me tell me your rules and let mm. me play. If, <laughs> I like if I can't spend 10 grand, then that's mm. on me. That would, it's because either I can't afford it or because you don't have enough of yeah. what I want. That would definitely scare a lot of the wholesalers I work with. I know they'd be like, oh, I can't say that. <gasps> you know, it's, it's sort of they would that would freak them out to even put that to people. And I guess that's where – depends on where they're at in their journey, whether they're starting Yeah, but they've got to realise that we're asking for something we want. So I want exclusivity. That is what I want more than anything. So when going back to one of your earlier questions is what have I found Mm. the hardest, it's not even COVID or the bushfires, it's this, because people are slippery. Mm. So we have stores near us who have been told no by suppliers because they say that their brand is already represented mm-hmm. in the town. So they just change the address. That's, that's... So then all of a sudden I'll find product that is mine in a store within possibly half a pace yeah. from me. And I will ring up the wholesaler and I'll say, what is going on? And they'll say, what do you mean? And I'll tell them and they'll go, oh, my God, we're so sorry. This is what's happened. And I say, okay, right, it's happened now. Now what are we going to do about it? And so then it's about negotiating with them how to fix that problem. And if a wholesaler says to me, oh, look, there's not much that we can do right now um, because now that we've supplied them, the law says that we have to continue to supply Mm. them. And I say, look, that's true. I understand that, you know, the way that consumer law works, but you don't have to supply them that. You just have to be able to supply them something. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, can it be something I don't want? Yeah, yeah. That it is, yeah, as you say, there's there's all sorts of laws involved in that, which I'll link up a few articles actually on the show notes because I know people have been caught out by that. But um, as in the wholesale saying, Look, I have two companies. Yeah two really big companies who these people uh, sent letters from their solicitor threatening Mm. to sue them and these two big companies said, bring it on. About the exclusivity um, aspect? About the fact that they wouldn't supply. So what happened was they uh, offered a different Mm -hmm. address 
so to a different town to where they live so that the goods were delivered to their home instead yep. of to the shop. Yep. And the other thing they do is sometimes at trade fairs they'll go up to people who, you know, quite often a wholesaler might get a friend or someone to come and help them on the stand yes. because they just can't deal they with the volume. <laughs> and, yeah, that person doesn't know and then the person in the office is so busy trying to pump the orders through, get the yeah. stock out because the poor old wholesaler is sitting on these mountains of yeah. stock that they've got to sell and so back at the office someone's there putting labels on boxes and getting the product out. Know. Yeah. And so, you know, stuff like that can happen and we all understand mm. that. And so that's kind of another way it happened. And they basically said, listen, we will give you these shoehorns. You're more than welcome to those. And this whole range, let's call it, you know, Happy Sunnyland. And, you know, that's what you can buy because that's what's available yeah. for you. And they didn't like that. And so they threatened to sue. And the two companies said, go for it. Okay. You know, if Come you think there. that you can win, yeah, bring okay. it on. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's something that, yeah, every wholesaler needs to sort of think about and know about and understand the um, approach. And and that's where I think it comes back to as well. And you have mentioned this before, not not today, but, um, you know, about relationships with your wholesalers. So you working with them, you talking to them about what you need and then vice versa, you know, getting them to tell you what what they need to do to you know work together for a long time like you want to be a long-term customer you want to be a long-term stockist that's right yeah look to be to be a long-term customer and to have those relationships um the first thing is we're entering into an agreement with each other so as a retailer when you go to a wholesaler and you say listen this is my order and they say no problem, um, you pay your pro forma or you go on account, the most important thing is, first of all, you've got to pay your bill on yeah. time. That's that's the deal. They're putting, they're, they're sending stock to you. Wholesalers who upset me the most are the ones who say to me, here's your invoice, please pay. I pay it and then it's a month before I get oh, my no. goods. Like you've got to oh, be no, kidding no. me. Yeah. If you don't have them ready to go on the back of a truck, you shouldn't be asking yeah. me for the money. And it is hard because sometimes, and, you know, I've been on both sides of this, of the wholesaler and the retailer yeah. buyer. Um, as a retailer, you cannot afford cash flow to be held up in that length of time. It just is too hard to run your business. And as a wholesaler, um, sometimes they've been burnt by retailers who say they're going to pay and they haven't, so then they don't do it until, you know, they give them plenty of time. But, yeah, it's that catch-22 of, you know, like knowing your buyer um, and so making sure that, you know, as you said, like you, if you're the good payer, then you they'll only let you know the invoice is ready when it actually is ready to go and not be any more than sort of seven to 10 days based on, you know, shipping at the moment. But look, truthfully, you know, I, I think five days, if you don't pay your invoice in five days, I'd be releasing the stock yeah. elsewhere. So um, it, I often miss emails and so, you know, if I if I miss an email and I didn't see the invoice the first time, because I get so many emails a day and I try and make sure I've read them all. So I would always say, you know, send me a second email or give me a call because chances are I'll give you a credit card yeah. over the phone um, because I want that stock. I asked yeah. for it. Um, but I think that, that showing your wholesaler that you are professional, this is, you know, you, you have to behave professionally. Yeah. If they're going to do what they say, which is to provide you with goods, they're going to possibly offer you exclusivity, then your most important task is to pay them. Then the next thing is for the first oh, four years, 
I didn't ever pay my accounts by bank transfer. Mm -hmm. I would ring up the office and have a chat to whoever was in charge Mm -hmm. of accounts and how you're doing, you know, and get to know them and give them my card or, you know, do it however they were doing it and and build that relationship. So I'm not just building the relationship with the agent Mm -hmm. or the rep. I'm building a relationship with the person who works in the office. And that's important because agents and reps will come and go far more frequently than the accounts yeah, person. Totally. Yeah, and and or if they're the business owner themselves, yeah, they're the ones who. Yeah, or the owner themselves. I mean, I, I mean, look seriously, probably twenty five percent of the the business I do is with directly to the person mm. in charge. You know, the person who owns it, or you know, um, I. We're a, a, an office account for lots of brands where we don't deal with agents yeah. and reps. One of the things you just mentioned there, and I wanted to bring up because any one of my um, listeners who is a wholesaler, you know, brand trying to get their product into different stores, you mentioned you get a lot of emails and every person who has a retail store does. It's just like an endless um, loop coming through. So, you know, what are some tips for those brands who are trying to get into stores or trying to get, you know, buyer's attention everyone that I know is going to be every buyer is going to be different but for you what what tips do you have so a good example of this is um at our second trade fair the one where my mum and dad sent Mm -hmm. us to Melbourne and we met Lou from Red Bobble who's part of your um retail group and And so we met her back when I was buying for my store as well so yes and so we met Lou and remember back then I was, you know, we were running the cafe and I was teaching and everything was happening at once and I didn't really know what I was doing. And we met Lou and we had a look and I just, you know, going to school, I had mm-hmm. bobbles. And so I just thought they were fantastic. But I was really careful um, about not placing too many orders but getting information that I could go away with. And so Lou got in touch with me after the trade fair and she sent me a bobble and a little necklace that she was selling at the time and she said, look, remember me, we chatted and and all of that. And only that day I had been saying to Andrew, oh, I think I might get this, this and this, what do you think? And he said, oh, yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden this arrived in the mail and I just went, oh, right, well, that's we'll do that then, we'll, yeah. we'll get those. So I rang her straight away and said, thank you so much for that lovely little gift. Um, You've put it in my face. You know, I was sort of umming and ahhing as to what I was going to do. And now I want to place that order with you. And I'm happy to give you my credit card over Mm. the phone straight away. And so we've had a great relationship with her ever since. And that little necklace still sits on my desk here at home. Um, And it's as, you know, because... When people send samples, you know, there there are unscrupulous people who are always looking for freebies because they're trying mm. to sell them. Realistically, we all know in retail you can't put a single thing of anything no. out because it's just no, not going to sell. Gonna yeah. Um, you know, that's right. And so we're also part of InStyle Society with Life in Style and we're platinum buyers at Reed and we're gold buyers at AGHA. And we we we've been elevated to those levels because we go to every trade fair. So when I say every, we do February Life in Style, we do February Read, February February AGHA, mm-hmm. and then we go down to Melbourne, we do Life in Style, Read and AGHA again. Um, and we also used to go to the September Read Fair yep. in Sydney. Wow, they're doing a lot. And 
Yes, and when we go, uh, we used to well, we go for for five or six days. We do life and style for one day, then we'll do AGHA, and then we'll do the rest of the time right up until the last day. So because we we now buy from something like gosh, somewhere between eighty and ninety suppliers yeah. now. I like to try and see everybody, even if I don't place an order with them. It's just putting your face in front of them. Remember me, you know how you're going, you know all of those things. And and it's that relationship. It's about it's everything. We had a a, I don't want to name companies, but we had a an a rep from a, a company, a fairly big company, and. When we were in Bundanoon, people didn't used to like to come that mm-hmm. far. And so she would come and see me and she would help me and she'd bring things to me to save on freight if she was coming my way. And she was just amazing and supportive and encouraging and she'd suggest different brands to try that she, that she saw working in her other stores, you know, in other customer yeah, stores yeah. and stuff. And when she left that company and she went to one of the biggest companies, we followed her. Yeah, okay, so you, you stayed true to that relationship essentially. That We did. We still bought from the first company and we still do to mm-hmm. this day and we've seen four reps go through since mm-hmm. she left with them And but she was with this company and we we became a platinum buyer with them and, and we were spending $80,000 mm-hmm. a year and they would fly us down twice a year to their show in Melbourne um, a private show and so we would get to pre-order before anyone else saw yeah, the okay. goods um, and, and that was you know that you've got to spend the money but if they had stuff that you wanted at the right price well it's a no-brainer yeah. so now she's gone out as a, mm-hmm. an agent and she's left them and so now we buy from every brand she sells yeah okay so you're so if she picks up a brand, I say, show me and I'll mm-hmm. buy it. Yeah. And so for you, yeah, so you, brands approach you directly. So then they can, they may be sending you something physical or they may be emailing you. But as I've said to people I work with in my group, you cannot just send one email and expect a response. You definitely need to follow up. You'll never get one. Yeah. No. It's follow up, um, you know, follow up, follow up, follow up. And if, if possible, obviously, when, you know, you can go and visit stores, then that's definitely something for you. And then obviously trade shows is something big for you to, to buy from. Look, trade shows is my, my biggest place to mm. buy from. I think that they have great energy. They, you know, stimulate your senses and your enthusiasm and you get excited seeing new things. You can make decisions My only quickly problem. when you have it in front of you, can't you, as well, because you can. Yeah, well, you see it, you, you feel it, the quality's there. The only thing I wish I had more time for was the education yep. sessions because we literally go nonstop, mm. we, you know, we get early entry into some yep. of those. So we're allowed in the doors before the the general buying group so that we can get to some of the people we yep. need to. Um, and, and I take every opportunity that I can't tell you how many times security have come to me at the end of a day going, you have to go. And I'll be just like, oh, just one more minute. <laughs> and so you've got to take that as a huge opportunity. But in terms of cold calling, people walking in my door without an appointment mm. annoys yeah, me. You need to warm them up first, don't you? Like, you do. Can I you come know, the thing is, you're, you're, email, can I, I'm going to yeah, come. Yeah, you're just expecting. Yeah. I've, 
you're expecting I'm, I've got nothing yeah, to yeah. do, that I'm just sitting there waiting for you yeah. to turn up. And so I, I think that's a little bit yeah. rude. So I appreciate um, a call. Look, a jewellery company hassled me for 18 mm. months. You know, I said to her, listen, I'm interested but I'm not mm-hmm. ready now. I've got too much other stock happening at the moment, but don't give up on me because I do like it. So every time she was going through to Canberra, she'd ring me and say, I'm going through, would you like me to call in? Can I show you some of the, you know, I know you'll like it when you see it. And I'd go, "Mm, no, I'm not ready yet. And she did. She just persisted. And so not only do I stock it I gave her an entire cabinet we started with a shelf it went to two shelves now she's got a cabinet and now I say to her call in whenever you want you have a look at it you decide what I need send it to me and I'll pay That's for amazing. it. amazing and I think as well you you know you, I don't know if you touched on it then or not but um once you are a stockist oh sorry once they're one of your suppliers it's consistently contacting you too not just assuming that you'll remember all the time because oh. you've got a lot going on so it's like that you know squeaky wheel um you are 100 percent correct there's nothing truer than that statement because what happens is you know i'll find something i I like let's say i always start out um you know like like with the jewel you know we started out with a shelf that became two shelves that became a cabinet i've got to see that my customers Mm -hmm. like it and that it looks good, it works well, how did you perform as a supplier, all of those things that make me measure it. But then if I don't hear from you again, because I have so many other people squeaking my <laughs> wheel, that sometimes I'll think oh, I must get in touch with yeah. Joe Blow. And then the end of the day comes and I didn't get that yeah. done. And so, But then because Joe Blow never gets in touch with me, all of a sudden, the relationship's ended yeah. because I've run out of the stock and, and I know that, you know, that's not the aim. The aim is to keep the stock there. But sometimes with a small brand, you know, you don't have a lot to begin with. It can disappear and then you can think, oh, actually, I need that space for something yeah. else. And so it's easier to just not get it than it is to replace yeah. and it. It's, and they remain top of mind when they keep um, in touch with you too. I know that when I was a buyer, you know, anyone who did have that contact, and it wasn't like hassling you every few days on the phone, but, you know, working out with your buyer what's their best approach. Like for you, you know, maybe it's a text message or maybe it's email or maybe it's calling the store. Like if working out with your buyer what they prefer, but then, you know, making it easier for them to reorder or saying, do you want a repeat of your order yes. or should I call you on yes. the first of the month or whatever it is that you work out, but keeping that channels of communication open and um, ongoing. Absolutely. And sometimes, you know, the easiest thing is for you to make decisions mm. for me. So if if you're a, a wholesaler and, you know, we've, we've put your brand in and the smartest thing to do is to ring after it's been there for a week and say, hi, you know, just wanting to see how, how's it yeah. going, you know, um, what are your customers thinking? How are you feeling? And I might say, look, we haven't sold any yet, but it yeah. looks good. And I might even take a photo and send it to but them. something on that too, um, actually, supporting for them. I always talk to, you know, the wholesale brands that I work with as well about making sure that they support the um, stockers too so then you're getting that sell through. Like to tell Pete's, tell their 
customer base that it's now in Neston Borough or, you know, sharing photos yes. that you share, like really trying to support each other that way. So then you get more sell through, then you support them more and, you know, it goes on sort of that way as well. Look, I, I don't even think that in the early days when I was in Bundanoon, having someone put it on their social media that we were a stockist, I used to get quite excited about. But truthfully, it probably didn't bring me mm-hmm. much revenue because my stocker, my, my customers are coming into the store to see what they can find, not necessarily for yeah, that item. Yeah. So what's actually more exciting for me is when they ring me in another week and go, look, how are you going? How's it gone? Um, I'm coming through to Canberra in two weeks' time. Is there a day that you're free that I can book in and pop in and just have a look, uh, drop you off another sample? Or do you know mm. what I mean? Just even, and I'll go, sure, how does Friday at 2.30 sound? And, you know, then we'll negotiate a time. Turn up and, and come with something else you can show me that you think might go well with it. And chances are you put it in my face and I'll yeah. buy it. it. It's putting it in someone's face and I think you know like when you said before email or phone or or text or use a combination of everything (laughs) because I'll often get a message and think oh yeah you know I must do that and then all of a sudden a week's gone by and I think oh my god I never replied to that and then I think oh my god I can't even find the email now because I've forgotten the name of the person who sent it so I can't find yes. it. So the message there is follow up people. If you don't get a, I think, it, as you said, even the jewellery brand that you talked about, you, you did give them a no, not yet. Or, But if unless you are getting a no, follow up with people that, um, you know, because they either likely is there, they haven't seen it, they're busy. It might not be for them. That may be true. But unless you've been given a no, we don't want this, I think it's open to, um, you know, following up. You're not, you're not stalking as far as I, I sort of feel as a... Um, a buyer or a you know brand I think you're just helping them discover you and making it easy for them yes and and send samples okay I mean this is the other thing if you're not going to go to a trade fair and you as a wholesaler are sitting you know in your warehouse or your home with your garage or you know Lou in the spare bedroom or the hallway you know where she started you know it it, you you've got to realize that um our expenses are the rent of our shop front and our wages and our insurances. And, you know, you, you guys have got some of that too as wholesalers. But when you're starting out and you're really small, your outlays aren't as big as, as mm. ours are. And so part of that, if you're not going to do a trade fair, is that you need to build in sending samples. And the smartest thing to do is to, if you can, manufacture small yeah, samples so they're not something that's a yeah. retail yeah, yeah they're, they're not something that's necessarily retailable mm. but it's the scent of all your yeah. candles in little screw top jars or you know it's a box that we can see the packaging and the size I can sit it on my shelf what does it look like yes. on my shelf you know stuff like that is invaluable and then that's it like I talk about you know physical catalog same sort of thing like you might keep you might not you know buy something straight away but you might keep that catalog because you're like I like that but I'm not quite ready for it yet but you're keeping that you've got something to tangible to touch um, with the samples as you say you know it's not going to be relevant for everyone because it depends on the product but a lot of people are able to spend that you know maybe it's five to ten dollars to get it into a store that as you say might spend ten thousand dollars to with you in a year so 
knowing your value of what your long time value of your your stockist is you know what will you spend then to get one and whether it is yeah it may be trade shows that you spend five ten grand on to be there but you know you're going to come away with that with customers more than one customer who has that long who has that large long-term value Absolutely. I, I think that if you if you target a, a brand or a store and you know that they are the right store for you because you're selling elk wallets or you know you're selling a brand that you know your brand pairs mm. well with, then don't give up on that store. Also give them a chance and say, look, you know, I've been sort of hoping that you'd be interested in my brand it's been six months now I just want to find out are you definitely not interested because I'm going to approach other stores in the town and I've got to tell you sometimes that'll be enough for people (laughs) to go okay let me have another look because the truth is a lot of the time if they've said flat out no it's not for me and I will say that to people look I'm really sorry but that's just not for us and they might say to me look is there anywhere you can suggest that you think it would be better suited? I'm happy to give you names yes. of other stores that it might and work better in because will. if it's no good for me, it's no yeah. good for me. And most people will. And they know, well, you know in your town or area, you know, the other store's way better than someone else who's got no idea of that location. So you're well informed to give that um, information. I also think too, as a retailer, if you're opening a store, and you've not done it before, even if you have done it before and you're moving from whoop-whoop to whoop-de-doo, <laughs> you have to go to whoop-de-doo to have a look at the stores that mm. are there. And, you know, the, there's two things that happen. If you've never had a store before and you haven't looked around you at what other people are selling, how do you know what your niche yeah. is? If you haven't looked at what they're selling, how do you know what brands you're going to be able to get? Because you shouldn't be able to get what they've got and you shouldn't want it because they've got it. The other thing is um, I think that if you were at Whoop-de-Doo and you want to move to Whoop-de-Wah, just because you had a brand doesn't mean you get to take it with you because if it's already being represented in that town by someone else, You've yeah. lost it. Well, I have a store that I'm working with at the moment, actually, just a one-on-one consult, and she's got five stores. And, yeah, she has some brands that are in, you know, two stores or one store or all stores, but they're all different. Um, she's got a different combo and mix because of where she where that store is and who else has got the brands in that area too. And she respects that, you know. She's fine with that because she gets that that's how she's going to keep things different to everyone else in the competition. Uh, absolutely. But what she'll also reach a point of, if she continues to grow, is that she then brings a different buying mm. power. So where she can say, right, okay, we've played that game for a while mm. now. I now want my stores to be a representation of my yeah. brand. So in every store, we're going to have glass house candles. In every store, we're going to have elk wallets. In every store, we're going to have these things. Now, this is what we're hoping. Now, elk, are you happy with that? I know you're in a store in another town, in the same town, but I want 
all of my five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten stores to have the same thing. And I'm only going to go with brands who are going to mm. do that. So then Elk have to decide if someone has the buying power of five plus stores. Yeah, what are they going to do? What they're going to do. And about I think that's that. where it comes down to, as you say, that relationship that you've already established and built on because they'll they'll, you know, they're prepared to work with you, not particularly Elk, but anyone, you know, in that situation. But yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yeah, I'm just totally, using, you know, whatever. But that's name. it. They they they'll know what your direction is and how you pay and all those sort of things. So I think it is working together with your um suppliers and them making sure that they stay in touch with you. It's just so crucial. It is. Well, we are hoping, and I'm hoping for you and everyone in retail running stores now that it's going to be a big, as soon as everything can open and, you know, all those numbers and percentages of vaccinations, all that sort of stuff, if they're high enough that we can, you can open up again and that you can have a booming retail, you know, it's Christmas period and that you have lots and lots of visitors and lots of people, you know, out and about supporting you. Oh, we hope so. Well, I'm banking on it. I mean, I've I'm investing in it. Yes. Um, and it's for everyone. It's the great unknown, isn't it? You know, none of us really know. I think I I do get a bit irritated with the media, particularly banging on about poor hospitality. And I think poor everyone. <laughs> Please find me someone in any industry who isn't going, well, this is rubbish, mm. you know, I know. who isn't feeling stressed or anxious or who doesn't have rent or costs, yeah. you know, we're we're all in it together. I, I think the arts have probably copped it the worst, mm. yeah. but, you know, boy, it's tough for everyone at the moment. It is. It totally is. So there's definitely not, no one's escaped, you know, um, anything. So whether they're having to shut down or they're having to work, you know, triple time um, to cater for everything, so... Well, thank you so much, Jackie, for joining me here today. I mean, I'm sure we could keep talking and talking um, and because you've got so much information and I love listening to your stories and, you know, your journey and the ups and downs of retail and, you know, what's involved. And as you say, it can be totally so rewarding, um, but it can be tough as well. Yeah, well, you've got to put the hours in and that's just, you know, I used to do 80-hour weeks in the three months before Christmas for six years. And yeah. I don't have to do that anymore, but eventually that's what happens. You you just got to do the hard yards and then you can slow down a little once you've got it established. But it is rewarding. It's exciting. It's, it's wonderful. I mean, I just think this time of the year in terms of COVID has been tough for people and it's hard. I'm finding motivation hard. But I think yeah. if you get to do something that you really enjoy and you get pleasure from, you can pep yourself back up eventually. I will share your details on the show notes there as well so people can um, see what your store looks like. Check out, you know, on Facebook and Instagram all the things that you showcase and you're on your brand and, the, you know, all your suppliers and stuff in there as well. So thank you so much, Jackie. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the Lotco Business Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you subscribe to receive future episodes as they are released. And I'd be so, so grateful for a review on Apple Podcast. If you would like a copy of the show notes or any of the links mentioned today, please jump onto my website at thelotco.com.au forward slash podcast. Have an amazing week and I look forward to chatting to you again soon.